you know, when I started Amatry, I saw a problem in the world and, and I, I, I thought I had a good solution for it. I said, this would have helped me. And, you know, it's really easy to go out in the world, especially if you know how to write code or you know how to design or whatever and make something and then put it out there and it kind of ignore the bad news. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you might soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. If you want to keep the best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. And even better, Remote helps you rest easy by providing you the most comprehensive intellectual property protection and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered regions, guaranteeing you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything Remote offers from payroll to compliance and to benefits management for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during their first year. You can get 50% off Remote's full suite of global employment solutions for your first employee for three months. Just visit remote.com slash leaders and use the promo code leaders. Welcome back to Leaders of B2B. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Amatry, a company transforming the chaos of business email into an AI-powered deal organizer, project manager, and virtual assistant. Over 65,000 real estate agents, loan officers, and other professionals are already using this platform. And today, we'll get into stories from this company's growth journey, anticipation of the future, and much more. Jonathan Eisen, welcome to Leaders of B2B. Thank you, Noah. It's nice to be here. Well, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. Amatree is a fascinating company. I was doing some preliminary research just via resources available on the internet, and your kind of key product of Folio isn't something that is specifically catered to professionals in the real estate industry, but as I mentioned, over 65,000 real estate agents, loan officers, and, and others are utilizing this product. Walk us through kind of, you know, what this product looks like, who it's for, and how it can benefit professionals. No, absolutely. And it's it's been an interesting journey. And, and I'll explain sort of how it's gone. It did start with a, re, a real estate experience. My wife and I bought our first home 
and we worked with a real estate agent, which is the typical process. And uh, we didn't know what to expect, but we were pleasantly surprised. We had a real estate agent who was just phenomenal, so good at his job and so passionate about his work and delivering a good experience for us and so valuable. We, we called him our home buying therapist. And I, I really admired him and, and and he was really instrumental in creating a successful experience for us in a successful purchase of our home. Um, but, you know, as an entrepreneur and also I have a background in software engineering, I, I saw I saw some problems that I thought need to be addressed. And, and particularly the thing that concerned me the most was despite being at the top of his game and being one of the best in the industry, I observed that he had to spend a lot of his time. I, I'd even go so far as to say the majority of his time doing work that wasn't the type of work that makes him valuable and not the type of work that he gets up in the morning excited to do. Now, to be clear, he was good at it and he did a great job, but it was this sort of tedious, administrative, project management type of work that he did because it had to get done, but it isn't the thing that makes him the home buying therapist. And this concerned me. It concerned me because, uh, you know, the world is evolving in, in an interesting way, right? Uh, not to be like all uh, dystopian, but the robots are kind of coming for our jobs. And I was worried for him. I was worried for him both because of, of that reality, but also because I feel like he's entitled to spend his time doing the things that make him valuable and the things that he loves. And so I started to look at this problem and try to understand this problem. And very quickly understood it's not really a real estate problem. It's a problem that I think real estate professionals experience and, and many others do as well, but it's really more of a modern work problem. See, we have these tools that we rely on to help us get our work done. And oftentimes these tools were designed for a specific purpose and we're using them in a different way. And, and at the core of this problem for many people is actually a 45 year old tool. It's used by billions of people every day at work and it's email. Email is a messaging platform and it's gotten better and better over the years at sending and receiving messages. But the reality is that uh, professionals uh, and especially some types of professionals use email as much more than a messaging platform. They use it as their repository of all of their data and information. They use it to affect workflows and execute uh, complicated projects and processes like buying a home or remodeling or building a home or planning a wedding, right? These types of processes get done by email, but nobody would ever say that email was designed to help you plan a wedding, right? But in effect, that's what people are doing. And they don't have a choice because uh, you can't get all these different people who don't work together at the same company to hop on some really great custom tailored software. At the end of the day, it happens by email. And so that's where, where Folio came from. Folio is a set of machine learning algorithms that connects to your inbox and automatically finds the work that you're doing automatically organizes it for you, puts all of the information about those different things that you're working on at your fingertips when you need it. Let me give you, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're an architect and you get an email someday from a guy called John. He says, hey, uh, can you send me the floor plan? And you're like, uh, who are you? Like what, what floor plan are you talking about? In your rack, in your brain, you start searching through your email, you find some threads, you dig into this one, you dig into that one, eventually you find, you find out who this guy is. Then you go back and you figure out what was that the latest floor plan you're digging through your email. See, the thing is though, when you have Folio, that email comes in and we know that email is about a remodel that you did three years ago. And we're able to put at your fingertips both information about John, who this person is, when the last time you communicated with them, uh, what, we, what it was you were communicating about, and also the documents and the related context and everything is at your fingertips. And that's just one example of how what we're doing is effectively compressing workflows. And this is actually really key. We're really not trying to change what people do. Everybody's great at the work that they do. They know how to do it. But it, 
where it takes 10 steps, we try to turn it into one. And that's the idea behind Folio. That's the genesis in real estate. And that's how it's gone and become something much bigger than that. That is so fascinating, Jonathan. So you realize this key problem as a client in the real estate industry. You know, is email the only thing that Folio, you know, integrates and optimizes? Or are there other modes of communication? Is it just email? Yeah, it fully integrates with your entire productivity suite. So your contacts, your cloud storage, your calendar, and your email, of course. And, um, you know, as as we expand and as we build out, you know, there are other means of communication. But what we identified is that email is really the source spot for most people. Yes, people use SMS, people use chat tools like WhatsApp, and, and some organizations use tools like Slack. But really where you have email is at the source of the problem. And a lot of the official correspondence for core business activities goes through there. No, nobody sends you a contract to sign by WhatsApp, right? It happens in your email. Uh, and so it, there are other there are other problematic fire hoses of information, but for now we're really focused on solving this, this problem with email, which is at the core of a lot of people's, uh, I guess, inefficiency. No doubt, no doubt. No, that makes perfect sense. So, you know, the examples that you you outlined there, real estate, architects, um, it, it sounds like certainly professionals in a series of industries uh, would benefit from Folio, your key product at Amitri. But, you know, just for our, our leaders tuning in today, are there certain industries, certain roles within those industries that the product is specifically catered toward or might benefit the most? Or is it really for any professional uh, working with, you know, extensive amounts of emails? Sure. I, I would say that any any busy professional who's frustrated by the fact that they end up wasting time in their email is relevant for us. Where our sweet spot is, though, and, you know, it, it's, it's always the case that you can have relevance for a broad audience, but then, you know, really hit the mark for a segment within that audience. And for us, the way we think about that is that anybody who is managing um, processes or projects, even if they don't call it a project, um, that involves many different people, who all work at different places, where there are many steps uh, in the process, where you effectively, uh, we sometimes call it like, have to herd cats, you know what I mean? Um, You're kind of keeping track of things and you're kind of following up and making sure things are happening, you can't lose track and you wanna give other people a view. It's especially popular with folks who have somebody to impress, whether it's a client or whether it's a boss, because like at the end of the day, one of the things that we, we really understood, uh, and this makes us a little bit different, I would say, in, in, a, in a way that we're proud of, we see our customers as the heroes, right? Whereas lots of companies, technologies are out there trying to displace them, trying to create software that eliminates the need for them. We see it the other way around. They're super valuable. We want them to spend their time doing the parts of their job that are super uniquely human. Um, And so anybody who is in the business of creating value for other people needs to be really good at showing that value. And so one of the things Folio does really well is it'll allow a professional to create a space for the project that they're working on, where everybody can get an instant view of what's happening, what's coming up. They can get reminders. They can get updates about what's happening. And it all kind of comes from the professional, but it's also kind of automated, right? So instead of a real estate agent, for example, having to say, hey, guys, don't forget to show up to the inspection tomorrow, their client will get an email two days before that says the inspection is coming up in two days. And it comes from them, but the real estate agent set it up. So that's sort of the idea. That's where the sweet spot is. People who are working with others that they need to keep on track and they need to look you know, buttoned up in front of and they want to 
kind of really show how organized and how buttoned up they are. People who are working on processes that involve stakeholders from different organizations, the reason is that then all the work gets done by email. That's where things tend to be the strongest. You know, a, a professional who gets a lot of email, um, but really the bulk of their work is in Slack, they might find some value in Folio, but probably not our sweet spot, you know? For sure. No doubt. No, I appreciate that, Jonathan. That, um, you know, that's great context. Well, so there you were, you know, a client, a consumer in the real estate industry. And because of your own experience, you know, purchasing a home, you had uh, kind of had a light bulb moment and realized uh, a need for this, this product, you know, tell us that story. So there you are, you know, you buy your house, you had this great experience that led to this light bulb moment. Take us through that journey, if you would, is, is what I'm trying to say. You know, was that experience purchasing a home enough for you to have enough validation to know that there was indeed a, a real need for this in the market? Or did you have to, you know, go through some other processes as well before you launched Folio? I mean, anybody that would tell you that it's not a painful, <laughs> a painful journey uh, would be sugarcoating it, to say the least. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I learned to write code when I was a kid. I started my first company when I was 13. I've been through the venture-funded uh, company lifecycle before. I, I started a previous company that was funded by Excel Partners. It was acquired by Yahoo. And so, you know, I'd learned to pattern match a little bit about how to build something that would you know, or at least how to test whether something is valuable to the world. And that's what we did. You know, when we started, I had this experience. And honestly, it, when I first thought about it, I thought about it a little bit differently. I went through the home buying process and I was like, here's an agent. He's amazing. Wow, that process was crazy. Like that was a lot of steps. That was nerve wracking. That was complicated. And wow, if I didn't have such a competent, well-organized real estate agent, that would have been just bananas. And then I said to myself, why is he wasting his time on all of this like bananas stuff? This shouldn't have to be like this. And you know, like many people who have experience buying a house who then think about solving the problem, my first inclination was like, oh, we should upend the whole home buying process. We should make it so much easier to buy a house. But then I thought about the problem and I realized it was a bigger problem. It was, uh, it was the fact that there's these really talented people in the world that are um, not you know, not realizing their full potential. And I don't mean to say that they're not doing great work. They are, and they're successful. But the, uh, but the notion there is that there's really an opportunity for them to, uh, you know, do more. We call it do what they do best better. Right. And that's kind of the light bulb. And so then from there, though, it wasn't it wasn't trivial. You know, we built our first product It was called closing time. It was just like really interesting kind of, uh, we would ask home buyers 30 different questions about their transaction and then we would make this big list of things to do. And the feedback we got from real estate agents was like, hey, you're taking me out of the loop. Like I thought you said I was the hero, but now your program is the hero. And it's wrong half the time. <laughs> so we learned a lot of important lessons there. Um, and then we, you know, the product evolved multiple times before it ended up uh, really deeply in the email. Once we really understood that the email is at the core of the inefficiency, the thing that's holding the professional back, then things really started to click better for us. And also, you know, people started to use the product a lot more reliably and find it a lot more valuable. So that was the, I would say, the product-oriented and user-oriented journey. Of course, along the way, we're a venture-funded company. We've raised multiple rounds of, of venture financing. And those rounds of financing have come along with, you know, a need to, to prove the traction, to approve uh, and explain and articulate well the vision. Uh, and so that's, you know, it's been a big part of the journey as well. And, and again, like I said, 
and none of it's actually been easy. <laughs> it's all been somewhat painful, but that's how I think great uh, enduring businesses are built. Well, certainly. And you, you, I'd love to learn more, Jonathan, about your, your own entrepreneurial spirit. You said you started your first company at age 13. Mm, yeah. So I'll, I'll date myself a little bit and say that that was really at the onset of, of the web. When I was 13, you know, it was still the case that most companies didn't have a web presence. And I know I loved, I love, still do. What really gets me excited as an entrepreneur is understanding somebody's problem and then solving it and seeing them light up. And then thinking about how do you do that for thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And so that's, you know, that's what really kind of got me going as a, as a, as a young entrepreneur was that delight in seeing people excited about what I did for them. And, and it was, you know, now it seems obviously quite simple, but I was really building websites for people at the time, you know, for local hotels, for my favorite record label. I was really into skateboarding. So for various skateboarding companies, you know, you, you build a niche and then and then you get all the skateboarding companies and you do those types of things. And so, um, yeah, that's what we did. I built I built websites. We got people on the Internet. I remember my first one of my first rejections. I would call these I would call these companies on the phone and be like, hey, do you want to be on the Internet? This guy puts me on a hold. And he comes back. He's like, you know, we're we're just we're just not ready to be on the information superhighway yet. I don't know if you remember when they used to call it the information <laughs> superhighway, but that was one of my first rejections. Wow! No kidding! No kidding! Well, and then you you had been through kind of the venture funding journey before Amatory, is that right? That's right. That's right. So, um, so so what was it like the second time around? You know, like did you bring along insights and learnings from the first experience? No doubt. Yeah, sure. So in doing Amatory, you know, I'd I'd already built uh, relationships with people who I had come to trust, and they had come to to you know trust me, and that was uh, a very valuable thing. I certainly brought some confidence along the way, but I would also say that it hasn't been easier the second time around. You know, it's just as hard. Uh, every business is unique. Every time period is unique, and I would say that you know the the lessons I've learned have more to do with I'd say more general business skills than necessarily entrepreneurship. The lessons are more about how to identify great people, what's important, you know, in 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 building a company. And in my case, my learning is it's always about the people and it's always about the team. And that any company that's going to be great is going to, it's really going to be built with great people. So these are learnings that I, I kind of amassed over years. Um, but I think, you know, you gain them in any professional context. So the, the entrepreneurial journey is certainly on, from the venture side becomes a little bit easier as you repeat, because venture funded businesses are very specific types of businesses. They have, you know, various stakeholders with particular um, uh, motivations and needs. Uh, and you know, it's not, it's not a lifestyle business. It's not a business that you can say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll do a couple million dollars in revenue and that'll be cool. You're aiming for something much bigger, much more impactful, much more durable and, and something that really kind of changes things in, in a more fundamental way. So it can be hard, I think for people and certainly was for me as a first time entrepreneur running a venture funded business to deeply understand that and to understand that your job as the CEO of a venture funded company uh, is very different than the CEO of a different type of company. But that's been, you know, it's been a joy uh, of a learning experience. And I've been just incredibly fortunate to be surrounded by 
brilliant, supportive, uh, kind and patient uh, people, investors, uh, team members, customers, and, and more. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, on the podcast, we're so thankful to have you because you bring with you, of course, a wealth of expertise and experience. Let's limit it to your specific experience, you know, scaling Amitry. What have been, you know, one or two of, of the key, you know, learnings, the key problems that you faced and then subsequently overcame or maybe are still, you know, navigating that, that overcoming? Any lessons you could share with uh, the leaders tuning in today? Sure. So the, the first and foremost lesson it was a complicated lesson to learn. You know, when I started Amitry, I saw a problem in the world and, and I, I, I thought I had a good solution for it. I said, this would have helped me. And, you know, it's really easy to go out in the world, especially if you know how to write code or you know how to design or whatever and make something and then put it out there and it kind of ignore the bad news. Right. What I mean by that is a user signs up and they're like, I don't like this. And you can be like, well, you know, you're not really the kind of user that I thought, or no, you know, you live in San Francisco, San Francisco real estate agents are unusual because the real estate market's unusual. Or conversely, you can listen to everything a customer tells you and say, oh, this user didn't like it. We should change it. Right. Um, so while I was always committed to listening to our customers and learning from our customers and building with our customers, um, what I discovered, the learning was, is there's actually a very specific way to do that well. And that process is called user research. Um, and there are people uh, who are particularly talented at doing effective user research. It, in, in, it's a process through which your assumptions uh, get thrown out the window and you really listen, you really learn. Um, and this is a process that we've come back to again and again and again. And without it, we would not have built Folio. It would not be successful and we wouldn't have the traction we have. It is a discipline um, that is sort of a part of what is now called product design. So, uh, you know, it's heavily related to UI and UX design, but it's really about how, what, how to figure out what you want to learn and then uh, how to ask the right questions in the right way to get answers that are honest and then how to interpret, analyze and act on the answers you got. And it is, um, it is remarkable when it is done right. You know, you can find yourself just sitting there and being like, wow, like I was totally wrong about what I thought this problem was, you know, or you can learn so much. One of the things that I've found the best user researchers are some of the most empathic people I've met. They truly feel the joys and pains of the people that they're talking to. And to have that level of empathy then get translated into your product, that's what makes a great product. So that's, that's I would say, the biggest learning uh, is how to listen to customers, not just sort of say, yeah, I believe in listening to customers, go talk to them and then kind of hear what you want to hear, um, but rather how to do it in a very disciplined, methodical way. Right, right. No, that's the key. Well, you know, if there's a um, a leader tuning in today and they're really intrigued by that, you know, engaging in user research and conducting that research, I mean, where does one start? What are the best things to keep in mind, best practices before engaging in sort of that discipline and that skill set? Yeah, and I, I mean, I can really speak to it primarily from, you know, the software side of things, although I think it's it's pretty applicable to other types of products and businesses. You know, the there is there is a uh, a methodology to it and there are experts who have become quite good over the last decade at this type of uh, process i'll give you i'll give you one point it's not focus groups like focus groups is the other 
end of the spectrum. Um, I'm not saying they can never be useful, but um, they, they almost work in the exact opposite way. And so, you know, where somebody would get started is reading up on, on the developments. This is, it's a field that has evolved really rapidly. I mean, 10 years ago, it'd be hard to find somebody whose job title was user researcher. Uh, today, it's much, much more common. I mean, it's, a, it's definitely a discipline in a field. So talking with the experts, reading up about it. And the truth is that, you know, at least the basics of it, uh, you, you can understand by kind of uh, just reading about it, things like, you know, how to ask questions that are not leading questions, you know, don't ask the question, do you like what you're looking at? You ask the question, what do you think when you see this screen? What would you do when you see this screen? What do you think happens when you do that? You know, these are questions that can be very annoying <laughs> to ask, but they don't lead the person there. And so it's, it's those types of techniques and those types of methods. Uh, and it's obviously much more than that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of great resources out there. It's a field that's evolved in front of our eyes and is still evolving. And so, you know, I think between talking to experts and reading the literature, people can get quite a, quite a good start. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, Jonathan, tell us what um, is on your horizon for the future. What's going on, you know, these days? What are you kicking off? What are you excited about and looking forward to at Amatry over the next year, a few years? Yeah, it's a good segue. I mean, the, the, the thing that I'm excited about, the thing that really gets me motivated, besides the, the incredible people that I get to work with every day, is the, is the opportunity to help millions of people do what they do best better to un unlock them from some of the more tedious things that they have to do so that they can spend more of their time doing what they love doing and what makes them important and valuable in the world. To me, that is the most satisfying thing that I can imagine. And the way that, you know, we do that is we continue to learn from our customers and build with our customers. And so, you know, the, the consequence of all of that, if we do it well, is, is continued growth is a business that you know expands because it's creating value and uh, helping people be successful. And, and that's something that I, I'm just honestly very proud of and I, I really love. There are many ways to build businesses. There are very disruptive businesses that are very impressive and they really fundamentally shift things. And, and, and they require, for example, changing paradigms. In, in, our, in our universe, what I'm really trying to do is emphasize what's great about the people that are doing the work they're doing and enable them to do it even better, faster, in a more fulfilling way so that they can, you know, achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve in life. And I, I really think that's the power of technology is to, is to enable people to have that type of fulfillment and success. That's something, isn't it? You know, you, you are, you, you know, your product folio is really a people centric you know, kind of vernacular and that you're partnering with professionals, not necessarily developing some sort of AI software that could replace their job, but makes their job easier because the human element is so necessary in a lot of those industries, you know? So I think that's great. Absolutely. We're, we're um, constantly amazed by the people that are using Folio and we're, we're proud to support them and help them be successful. Well, Jonathan, it's been such a pleasure having you on Leaders of B2B today. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Where can listeners, you know, engage with you and find out more information about you and Amatry and Folio? Sure. They can find us at, uh, you know, at Amatry.com. That's the, uh, that's the website and we have information about us there. And we also have a lot of information about us on social media and LinkedIn in particular. So if people are looking to connect with us or learn more about the company, that's a good place too. Solid. And we'll include links to those resources in the description of this episode. Thank you so much, Jonathan. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.